This week's show is brought to you by Media Temple. Whether you're looking to migrate a business-critical site or application to the cloud, Media Temple is your trusted team. Their experts can help you move to the cloud, maximize application performance, and find peace with your infrastructure once you're there. Visit mediatemple.net to learn more about all of their managed cloud services and to unlock the full potential of your virtual private cloud or the public cloud. Today's sponsor is Datadog. If your business is being driven by software, you know today's applications are more complex than ever. They're sitting on multiple layers of infrastructure and distributed services, and it can be very complicated to manage. Datadog brings visibility into every part of your infrastructure, as well as APM monitoring for your application's performance. Customizable dashboards, collaboration tools, and alerts let you develop your own workflow for observability and incident response. And Datadog integrates seamlessly with all of your apps and systems, from Amazon Web Services to Kubernetes to MySQL, so you can get visibility in minutes. You want to get started now? Go to datadog.com slash cloudcast to get started with Datadog and get a free t-shirt. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast, coming to you live from the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Just me tonight. Aaron is uh, coming back from an airplane He's somewhere somewhere over the Midwest. I won't be able to make it tonight, but um, a lot of really good show we have this evening. It's, it's that time of year where we're sort of getting into the uh, fall season for trade shows. We're getting into a lot of announcements from vendors. We're seeing, you know, this is sort of the time when, when a lot of shifts start happening. So a couple of housekeeping things, and then we're going to jump into a very interesting show. Real quick, want to thank a lot of folks. Um, I had kicked off a, a new podcast that's very focused on containers and Kubernetes called uh, Pod CTL. Uh, so P-O-D-C-T-L. A lot of good uptake this week. Uh, got around number 100 or 105 or something in the iTunes uh, technology section. So thanks to everybody for listening and telling a friend. Second thing regarding iTunes, um, Aaron and I are kind of doing this this experiment to figure out how iTunes does some stuff. So if you would do us a favor, if you like the show, if you listen to the show pretty regularly, uh, just go in and give us a rating. Um, if you like it a lot, give us a give us a good rating. Uh, but we're just trying to get a sense of like how uh, they rank the shows and what weights it and so forth because it's not anything that's disclosed to us. So if uh, if you listen a lot, um, go into iTunes, uh, give it a rating, um, give us some sort of feedback. Um, even if you don't write anything, that'll help. If you want to go to the serverless conference, um, this has been in the show notes. We haven't really publicized it much, not on purpose, just kind of forgot. If you want to go to the serverless conference, which is coming up in New York City in the early part of October, uh, there is a link in the show notes for 20% discount on that. Always a good show. Uh, we've been uh, you know, doing some stuff around serverless. We'll, we'll crank up some serverless stuff uh, in October when that gets going. But if you want to go to the show, it's in New York City. Uh, there's 20% discount code in there from the folks at uh, A Cloud Guru. And then uh, finally, there's some stuff we're going to be doing in two weeks. And uh, that'll be a little different, a little different look to the show, a little different feel to the show. Uh, we're going to kick off a bunch of new things just because it's six plus years and we, we want to do some new stuff. So uh, I'm telling you that now, um, just so you pay attention. I know people got kids going back to school and uh, VMworld's coming up and lots of things going on in your life. Uh, so you know, pay, if, if, if you see some things different here the next couple of weeks, uh, don't be surprised and uh, we will dig into a little bit more when we get to that. So speaking of VMworld, um, this is always the time of the year where we see what's going on in that, that part of the world, that part of the ecosystem. It's, it's very important. It touches uh, a lot of companies, um, both on-premises in their data centers and 
uh, emerging in, in the cloud and so forth. So we sort of like to bring our, our experts in the VMware community on. Uh, I've got both Keith Townsend and Stu Miniman joining us tonight. Guys, welcome back to the show. Thanks for Great having to be with you, Brian. So first off, let, let's kick it off a little bit. Guys, what are you doing, Keith? I know you're doing something that's somewhat different. So why don't you tell folks what you're doing these days? And then Stu, tell us uh, what you've got going on uh, around VMworld and everything uh, Wikibon and the Cube. So I've always had one, one foot in the FTE world and another foot in the analyst slash blogger world. Uh, I've decided to leave the FTE thing completely behind and I've kicked off the CTO advisor as a full-time gig where, you know, I do a combination of analyst work where, we, you know, we do the traditional uh, vendor side support and custom content as well as advising end-user organizations. So, you know, I'm, I'm two weeks into that and having fun. Good, good. And uh, you're doing, I know you're doing a bunch of stuff, sort of daily stuff for videos and, and, and other sort of content. Tell folks where they can go find it, especially the stuff you're doing uh, for video they can go watch every day. Yeah, the doing uh, the CTO daily Dose, which is hashtag CTO Daily Dose. If you're on social media, whether it's LinkedIn or Twitter, if you search for the hashtag CTO Daily Dose, you'll find me. The easiest place to find me is thectoadvisor.com. I've created a whole video tab where you can go and, and consume that content. It's basically about eight to ten minutes, a coffee cup worth of content where I, you know, talk about topics, any, anything from cloud to Kubernetes to optimizing cost and IT is. I'm, I've been having a ball doing it. Very cool. Stu, uh, we were we were kibitzing before the show. Uh, you were on in, I think, number 129. So it's been just a little while. Obviously, you and I talk all the time offline. What's going on in your world and, and what's coming up in the next week or so? Yeah, it's great to be back. Uh, three and a half years, uh, VMworld's uh, one of our big shows uh, of the year. Uh, going to have, uh, we'll do somewhere between 60 and 70 interviews, which really is like pretty much our largest of the year. Uh, we've got a uh, full team of analysts that'll be there doing meetings. I'll sneak in a couple of meetings, but I, I tend to get tied down to the Cube video for a lot of it, be kind of putting together our whole presence there. we got a really big team, including happy to have Keith uh, back as a guest host uh, of the Cube, bringing him, uh, Mr. John Troyer, who most people in the VMware community know real well, and a new guest host, Justin Warren, who many in the community probably know, but he's going to be joining us too, as well as uh, John Furrier, Dave Vellante, myself, uh, Peter Burrs from the analyst side, and Lisa Martin. So um, we've got a phenomenal lineup. Uh, excited to have you know everybody from Pat Gelsinger and Michael Dell uh, on the program through uh, a bunch of end users, the community people, uh, and a, a good, uh, really broad piece of the ecosystem there because VMware is a, a nice broad ecosystem. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting coming in the fall. Uh, we, we start here uh, with VMworld, and a couple months later, I'll be back in Vegas for AWS reInvent, which is really grown much larger than VMworld and uh, takes up uh, a, a lot of the visibility in the marketplace. Uh, and one of the things I, I know I'm going to be looking at next week uh, at the show is that partnership between VMware and Amazon, where that's gone and how they're fitting into some of the other cloud players. Yeah, very cool. So uh, for you know, folks, I think a lot of you know, um, you know I've, I've had some, some background uh, working with Stu and, and the guys at theCUBE, um, put on a great show, uh, great basically week of, of keeping you up to date what's going on a lot of behind the scenes interviews with uh, with executives with the with the engineers with the product managers so um, you know great opportunity whether you're watching it live or you want to go back and watch you know eight ten minute segments um, you know just a great chance to sort of dig in beyond uh, all of the 
all the, the keynotes and the headlines and stuff and kind of see what's really going on. And Stu mentioned John Troyer. John, I think, was on the show last week or the week before, uh, you know, co-host of the, of the Geek Whispers and, and huge presence in the VMware community for, for a long, long time. Guys, Stu, you know, you mentioned uh, AWS reInvent um, about a week or yeah, a few weeks ago. The folks from the register kind of threw out a, a barb at, at VMworld and, and VMware saying, you know, you guys used to be kind of the center of the universe. Your, your show and your ecosystem used to be the center of the universe. It's now sort of become a planet that orbits uh, AWS or the, you know, the IT world sort of orbits AWS. What's your, you know, the register always has a little bit of snark. We all sort of understand that. But where is the VMware where is VMware in the, the bigger picture of the IT ecosystem? What does the VMware ecosystem look like these days? You know, I, John Troyer a little while ago used to say, well, we used to be Switzerland. Now we're Switzerland with guns because, you know, they, they've got a whole lot of their own products. Like, what, where is the VMware world in 2017? Yeah, so I, I guess I'll start. And this year and all the shows I go to, virtualization is usually pretty important. Uh, take, for example, I was at the Veeam show uh, down in New Orleans, and Veeam got up there and they said, we rode the 10 years of virtualization, and now we're going to ride the next 10 years of cloud. Uh, at all the big infrastructure shows from the, the storage players, virtualization is important, but everybody is trying to figure out how they fit in this hybrid or multi-cloud world. And one of the things I, I know I and many of us have been looking at for the last handful of years is what's VMware's position in that multi-cloud world. Uh, there was some, some snark on Twitter looking back as to, uh, you know, some of the top 10, you know, people I don't want to see at VMworld or, uh, you know, a comment I made is, you know, remember some of the old slogans uh, back a couple of years ago, it was like, you know, any app, you know, anything, one cloud. And even at the time, uh, it was like, what do you mean there's one cloud? Come on, there's more than one cloud, uh, you know, when we look at the, the, the big clouds. So where VMware fits, with the big public clouds, with their service providers, where Dell overall and that whole family fits in that environment is still a really hot question. That being said, you know, VMware is still dominant in the data center. They're doing really well. This week they announced their, their latest earnings. They actually pre-announced because they beat expectations. They're doing well. They're hitting on all cylinders. Their stock is up. Uh, Pat Gelsinger is still CEO. Yeah. Last year, a lot <laughs> of us were like, okay, who's the next CEO? That was just the, the rumor du jour. And, you know, Pat's going to be there given the keynote. And, you know, VMware's doing well. So, uh, you know, the, the rumors of their demise is uh, maybe a little premature. But that, that being said, when I look at the overall picture, Brian, definitely, you know, Amazon gets way more press. Uh, if you turn on financial channels, the, the public cloud players get talked about a lot. Um, you know, most companies you talk about are way more concerned about how they're playing with Amazon and Microsoft uh, because VMware is kind of a given. But, you know, we saw Microsoft go through uh, a downturn in relevance and fight their way back. So, you know, where will VMware, will they do anything to kind of move the needle at this show? Um, or will it be that they just keep raking in licensing, growing in interesting areas like AirWatch and vSAN and NSX? Uh, and, you know, it's a, it's a great community. It's, it's, you know, one of my favorite shows, really, really good people there. Um, I, I know Aaron's going to be there, so even if he couldn't join us today. Yeah. But, uh, you know, lots of good stuff. <clears throat> Yeah. Keith, what, what's your take? Any, any kind of different takes on it or, you know, kind of areas that you're, you're kind of going to go dig into when you're out there uh, in a week or so? So VMware is a interesting part of our ecosystem, not just from a 
vendor and industry perspective, but from a customer perspective. VMware moves at the speed of customers. If you notice a few years ago when OpenStack was going to kill, you know, everything that was vSphere, VMware shifted and started to, you know, offer, you know, something that was similar to OpenStack and their OpenStack distribution. And then there was this rush to cloud in a sense, but a lot of the people that I talked to on the ground, while AWS was extremely interesting, AWS just, and still today, hasn't really figured out its its position in enterprise IT. They'll most definitely take a credit card from the CMO or any other group and service enterprise IT, but, but when it Talk, when you talk about integrating and being, you know, the next Microsoft, the next VMware, the next Oracle who's cemented in enterprise IT and processes, you know, AWS just isn't there yet. And VMware still has that trusted role to say that, you know what, if I'm a data center manager, if I'm a storage manager, if I'm in these traditional IT silos, I can go to good old trusty VMware and get the most interesting technology that I'm interested in today. Brian, you work with uh, enterprise customers all Mm -hmm. the time. You know, there's kind of two speeds. There's the cloud native speed that runs really fast. That really hasn't a lot of use for VMware today, but the majority of IT is still stuck in this, this legacy mode that VMware is obviously owning and still doing well in so while they they're not getting a lot of the while they're not getting a lot of the press they're still getting an awful lot obviously of the data center dollars so they're they're still super relevant we'll see that at vmworld this year you know i'm I'm sure there'll still be over twenty thousand people there will be a lot of hoopla but again this is not you know their their role today isn't to necessarily innovate and, and lead the way right you guys are both. Uh, I mean, Keith, you, you're now sort of uh, at least more more formally, and, and Stu, you're you're full in the the analyst business, which means to a certain extent you're going to go dig into their numbers. Um, VMware just released their numbers, I think, literally a couple hours ago, so you probably haven't dug into them too much. But there was a couple of interesting things I noticed just real quick reading the summary of it. Um, you know, they talked about. I mean, their numbers were 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 good. They I think they were up about ten or twelve percent year over year. Or, quarter over quarter, year over year. So that's, that's healthy. They were, you know, they were sort of in the low single digits a year or so ago. Um, I thought it was interesting. Their, their licensing numbers, I think they said were up 15, 20%, um, which is interesting because one of the things that sort of surprised me when I looked at that register article was they were saying, you know, VMware is still at, you know, ESX six, something like 6.5 or something, which tells me like, there's no innovation in the hypervisor anymore, but yet they're getting all this revenue out of licensing. Is that, are they raising the rates on, on the virtualization side of the house, or are they just loading up these ELA contracts and licensing contracts with all this new stuff? Like how do people interpret, you know, where this growth's coming from, from VMware? Yeah. And Brian, I haven't had a chance to parse anything, everything yet, but, uh, what some of the numbers out there is like, you know, vSAN year over year is up 150%. Okay. NSX is supposed to be a billion dollars of revenue this year and year over year is up 40% for the quarter and the end user computing is up 20%. So those are their kind of three big growth areas. Um, and one of the things we poked at actually one of the years you were hosting with me, it was okay. Is it an ELA where they're shoving people into vSANs? And most of the customers I talked to 
were probably VMware customers, but they were actually adopting the ELA because it was attractive for them when they were going to use vSAN to use the ELA. So a little bit of a nuance there. I, I, I think it's a, it's a good trend for VMware. Um, while there's been plenty of years where I hear people griping about, you know, the VTAX or how VMware's squeezing them or, you know, gosh, how expensive it is to be a sponsor at VMworld. Uh, you know, in general, vSAN's growing real good. Uh, NSX is doing well in, in the AirWatch stuff. And all of that is leading to some, you know, stickiness in the licenses. And I think that is helping them kind of raise that piece of it. So, yeah. you know, a- absolutely. I think, you know, VMware knows that uh, they, they've kind of hit uh, almost a plateau on on the virtualization. I mean, what, what are we at? You know, somewhere 80, 90% of all applications are virtualized. So right. it's no longer the, hey, we're 50%, we're going to go towards 100%. We, we've, we've pretty much maxed out a lot of that wave. So they, they've done a, a pretty good job of moving into some other areas. Yeah. Keith, I um, and, 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 and what, what, one other, just one other thing about the note. Um, Michael Dell is so confident that VMware is undervalued that he's initiated, what is it, a billion-dollar stock buyback. So, you know, remember last year there was all of this, oh, as soon as it goes through, they're going to sell off VMware. You know, Michael figured out the finances, he knows what he's doing, and he's very bullish on VMware as a big piece of the portfolio. Yeah, Keith, I know you're on a you're on a sort of a, a first-name basis with Michael uh uh, which is which is cool. Um, it would be great to figure out, and maybe this is a question you guys can ask him. I, I doubt you're going to be able to get an answer from it, but like, it's a it's a weird uh, situation now where you know Dell is private. Obviously, they don't have to share their their details, but but VMware is public, so you can you can to a certain extent see where they're making cash, see where you know like Stu, like you said, they have enough cash to go do stock buybacks, but you know the the stock structure is different. It's you know Dell owns a huge piece of it. it I guess the question to, to sort of figure out is, you know, is Dell back to, or I'm sorry, is VMware back to being a huge cash cow? And, and does that make them a cash cow for, for R&D? Um, because we, we've sort of established, well, maybe they're not necessarily a, an innovation, big innovation leader anymore. Or is that a cash cow to go drive the, the economics of the rest of, of the Dell family? I mean, do you guys get any sense of what that's looking like? Or is that completely yeah, so- quiet and off the record? So that's a pretty good question. The you asked Michael this, you know, I think uh, John asked, asked him this at uh, Dell EMC World, and I've asked him this on you know, in private DM messaging that I, I don't think he. It's obvious he's talked about this quite a bit. One, I, he what he hasn't talked about is this whole stock thing, which I find fascinating. Just the way the deal was structured, I have to go back and dig into what it means now that the, this tracking stock, which was at one point, uh, quote, USA Today called it kind of worthless. What, you know, you were if you bought EMC at the time, you'd get Dell, you'd get the VMware tracking stock basically for free. So from a cash cow perspective, I have to just look back at how brilliant of a move that was one it was tax-free and a bunch of other stuff and how that frees up cash for a deal so buying you know buying back a billion dollars in stock i'll 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 have to put my analyst head on and go back and dig it and see the impact of that on on dale emc's bottom lines however the r&d question is a very good question from a innovative piece you know Stu, we've talked about how michael has come back and said you know what if you thought i was going to sell vmware you don't understand math 
and what the whole point of why we bought Dell EMC VMware is the crown jewel. If you look at traditional enterprise IT, you know, HPE, Cisco, Dell EMC, probably the only company in all of that that's even relevant to the cloud and software conversation is VMware and this other part of Dell EMC of EMC that Dell got when they purchased EMC, which is pivotal. So the I think a lot of the R and D effort we're going to see. You know, you talked to James Waters. We had him on the CTO Advisor podcast a couple of months ago at, at, at Dell EMC World. They're very bullish on integration of Pivotal and VMware. So marrying those two together. You know, I, I thought at some point. VMware would just outright buy Pivotal back from uh, Dell EMC. But Michael is very, very bullish on combining the two software entities he got in that acquisition of Pivotal and VMware to push this envelope on what a traditional enterprise IT can do in a cloud era. I mean, if you look at just the business of anything that you would say that's futuristic and interesting, Pivotal and VMware. Yeah, and, and, and you know, if you are a VMware stockholder, or if you were a VMware stockholder, you know, those, those days after the acquisition, when, when VMware stock went from about 80 bucks to 40 bucks and everybody like Stu, like we said, we were, we were wondering, you know, how fast Pat was going to be out the door you know, stocks back up to a hundred bucks. So somebody's made a lot of money on, on VMware stock over the last 12 to 18 months. And, uh, probably are, are fairly happy, probably have a, a boat or a beach house or something, uh, something they didn't have in the driveway, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. Well, um, yeah, yeah, and doesn't Michael Dell own most of that anyway? Yeah, well, so exactly. he's even happier. Well, so. it's, it's, you know, it's like Larry Ellison said, this is a great deal for Michael Dell. Uh, yeah, he, <laughs> yeah, he's going to make billions off of this. Right. So you guys, uh, you know, between doing the Cube um, and then, you know, some of the access to the executives through analyst meetings and other stuff, you get, a, you get, you know, you get some access to them. Um, there's things like the V-Expert events where, you know, Gelsinger's hanging out. Obviously, some of those are controlled by PR and so forth. But do you guys have any questions that you're like, man, I really wish I could ask this one, but I don't think I'm either going to have enough time for it or it'll get it'll get shot down. I mean, are there any sort of like big elephant in the room questions you wish you could uh, you could ask Pat or Michael or, um, you know, anybody kind of surrounding driving what's going on? Sanjay Poonin. So I, I, I guess it's actually something I asked Brian, like even back when when Dell pre-acquisition, one, one of the, the criticisms I'd have for Dell is they tend to partner with a lot of people. And therefore, I don't feel that they're necessarily the ones driving the technology conversation. Mm-hmm. So if I look at this hybrid cloud world and what will it look like at the end of the year? Well, I'm going to have VMware on Amazon. I'm going to have Azure Stack from Dell. Uh, there's probably going to be some Google thing in the mix. They're going to work with you know dozens of service providers. So you know, at the end of the day, you know, Michael Dell is going to be really happy if people are buying Dell servers and pulling along all of the software that necessarily goes with that. So you know, VMware and everything is great, but you know, do they have an opinion as to which way they think things are actually going? Uh, you know, we we hear some criticisms about all of these solutions. You know. Know, what's actually going to be working on VMware on AWS? Uh, you know, Azure Stack seems pretty limited at day one. Is pretty locked down solutions. So you know, customers want that guidance and they want somebody to help deliver that. And you know, maybe Dell's going to leave that up to the channel partners and fight it out there. But you know, I, I usually like a little bit more opinionated uh, delivery so that you can say, you know, this is the way we think it's going, and you know, here's the leading solution from us. But you know, th- Dell's playing across the board. 
Yeah. I, I think, so, w- w- before you jump in, one thing that's sort of interesting to me, and, and, you know, this is sort of connecting a few dots. I know, like, Azure it made an announcement. It, it kind of didn't get a lot of buzz, but, you know, if you were digging into it at the, one of their conferences here a couple of months ago, where they were talking about they're going to start incenting their channel and, and their salespeople to sell Azure, um, not just licenses, but consumption, right? So, you know, in, in essence, you're going to see a whole bunch of salespeople trying to push these, you know, deals where it's going to use a lot of VMs and it's going to use a lot of storage and a lot of Azure stuff as opposed to where they used to just sort of bundle licenses and hope you use them. I'm sort of surprised given that VMware did their, you know, VMware on on IBM's cloud and then they did the uh, AWS cloud part, that there's not a VMware on Azure or there's not a VMware on on GCP deal at this point. I would have thought they would have tried to be as ubiquitous as possible on that. I think one, technically, we we've seen just publicly the the public beta of VMware on AWS was delayed a few times mm-hmm. um, from when it was announced. I looked at that and just said, you know what, if you understand AWS VPCs at all, and you think about what it would take to get NSX and layer two networking that VMware lives on that VM that vSAN needs inside of an AWS data center or even a GCP or Azure data center. That stuff is really, really hard. And uh, it wasn't a surprise to me that it was delayed. Uh, it, it is a I'll be amazed that when it is rolled out and, and if it's uh, anything better than what uh, vCloud Air, because we, we have to ask the obvious question. You know, when, when we ask a question and get a straight answer from Dell EMC and VMware, how is AWS, how is VMware on AWS any different practically than vCloud Air? Right. You know, other than connectivity, you know, obviously there's going to be lower latency to AWS data centers and regions, but functionally, it's the same solution. So that 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 is, I think, a, a question I'd like to get a straight answer for. for. It'd be, be interesting to understand how they manage, a, uh, you know, a customer who asked that question, should I go to a vCloud provider or should I go to AWS? And um, and I did not, in my real quick view, I didn't see any numbers broken out. I don't know if it's become GA yet, so I don't know if they're breaking out any numbers. But it would be it would be interesting to get a sense of, you know, what does what does VMware's sort of cloud revenues look like? Not the stuff that's sort of like vRealize cloud management, but the stuff that's going into the cloud and so forth. So I don't know if they break those numbers out at all. Yeah. Uh, what, what, Brian, you're saying you, I want a software company that can play across multiple clouds, maybe nicely integrated with Kubernetes. Uh, could you find somebody that could do something like that? Well, I, I, I'm not I'm not trying. No, I'm not, I'm not really not trying to throw any shade on that. I think what, yeah. what I'm getting at no, is no, I, mean, I, even, I, I, I wasn't trying to show, throw shade. It just, you know, when, when I look at the multi-cloud strategy, I, I mean, you know, plug for what, what you've been working on. The OpenShift uh, yeah. piece is, you know, you want Amazon check. You, you want Azure, uh, you know, recent announcement on that, uh, you know, does it integrate with Kubernetes and everything Google's doing? You know, absolutely. I mean, that's that's kind of the multi-cloud picture that people are looking at. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see if VMware adds any, uh, you know, that we, we've had a little bit of container movement from them, but I, I don't hear much traction there. Right. And people looking at Kubernetes, you know, will that show up? <laughs> yeah, so, the, yeah, the Kubernetes Stu, thing we'll, has been interesting. So, Stu, we'll, we'll have uh, both the vSAN guy in the NSX guy on the cube. And a, a question I'm going to ask is how does vSAN, how does NSX help me with the cloud? Honestly, yeah. 
you know, when we when we talk about what what's interesting about the cloud, so customers already spoke with their with their dollars and feet. They didn't want vCloud Air, not in the way that VMware did it. Uh, we want cloud native capability. How yeah. does NSX? How does yeah. vSAN help me with cloud native? Well, yeah, Keith, you bring up a great point. The cloud foundation suite. When I've talked to you know partners of VMware that have been looking at deploying it, uh, it's not necessarily fitting into those architecture models, and it's heavy. You know, when you look at how many servers do I need for compute, how many servers do I need for management, this is not a, you know, small solution that you spin up uh, and, and start with. This is, you know, a much larger solution. Uh, and, you know, it not it, it, it's not at the agility and price point uh, that people think of when they think of cloud. Keith, I know you've been digging a little bit into into Azure Stack and taking this a little off the, the VMware radar, but you've been I know you've been digging into Azure Stack. I know you've been looking at it. I mean, do you get a sense that that may be an offering that may draw people away from from using VMware either in their own data centers to sort of pull them away from the the vCenter thing, or it'll be a you know kind of a gateway drug to get them to use something like Azure? So. Azure Stack. I know you guys did a uh, podcast on Azure Stack a, a little bit ago. Oh, it's been a long and, time though. It's been yeah, 12, 18 months, and we're still waiting for it. And we, when we had Jeff uh, Snova on uh, the CTO advisor a few weeks ago, we talked through this. You know, it, it's not geared to compete with vSphere. Just it, it is Azure in your data center. However, that's extremely appealing. And you talked through kind of how Microsoft is uh, selling on consu- consumption-based. They actually charge you. A component of how they charge you is component is is based on how much you're actually running. So how much you're consuming, consumption-based ra- rather. So, you know, you spin up, uh, you know, a, an Azure cluster can hold up to, let's say, 400 VMs. And you're actually ca- charged for what you consume in your own infrastructure. So it's a very different model than what VMware provides. But again, it's a subset of Azure in your data center. So I have, I'll soon have Kubernetes integration. I'll have uh, the past capability of a SQL. I'll have the, the basic infrastructure as a service. And if I'll go to a console now, I'll just select, instead of running it in the Oregon data center, I'll be running it in my uh, New York data center which is my private facilities. So that I think is compelling and in a sense is a drug to get you onto Azure and Azure stack. I I talked to a huge, huge professional services company last week, global that rolled out Azure pack that, you know, that are one of our, one of my favorite beating horses is which a private cloud solution. They built it. No one came uh, because it wasn't, feature rich like an Azure was. Mm-hmm. So Azure Stack, they're very hopeful that they, you know, they deploy that and customers, their internal customers come to that because obviously it's a subset of Azure and it and it doesn't break that workflow. So two different solutions, but I think something that VMware and AWS combined should, you know, and every other cloud provider should worry about. Yeah, yeah just Brian, Brian, the one little bit of feedback uh, I, I'd add there is from what I hear, Azure Stack, uh, like we were just talking about for VMware, is not geared for, you know, kind of even the mid-size enterprise. It, it, it's really priced pretty high. And if Microsoft could get that price point down, 
most of the applications running on VMware are Windows. So, yeah, you know, yeah. while, yeah, people would love, you know, to have a similar operation model to vCenter, I talk to lots of customers, you know, if you go to kind of the mid or small size that don't want vCenter and don't need vCenter. Uh, so if, if Microsoft could hit that lower price point, uh, they could really, uh, you know, pull a lot of customers away uh, with relatively little friction. And I talked about this on the Daily Dose today, which was the, that cloud control plane. Brian, you, you deal with this all the time. That's really heavy. The, from a CPU and memory and storage perspective, it's just a lot of overhead. It's difficult to manage from a people and process piece. That is the true value in most of these solutions. This is why vCloud Air failed. This is why AWS, Azure, and to a lesser extent, uh, GCP are succeeding because they take take away that overhead. That's why the interest in Kubernetes is so strong because, you know, it, it's the part that the developer really cares about. Right, right. Well, and, and people don't realize, I mean, in order to make the economics of, of that huge control plane and all those services that, that clouds deliver, it's a lot of boxes that are running, a lot of high availability boxes. And, and when you start smashing that down into a stack that goes on-prem and somebody says like, hey, these first 10 boxes are going to be your control plane. People start going, oh, well, you know, and they start, you got to have the economics to sort of make it, you know, economics of scale to make it work. And um, yeah, it definitely is, is interesting. Let me hit you guys up with one last topic uh, that I know is, is both right in your wheelhouse, Stu, Stu, yours especially. A couple of years ago or even a year ago, you know, people sort of joke that VMworld had sort of become sort of a storage world because everybody was, was trying to be storage or VMware. Now that's shifted over to, to HCI. I mean, you've got... Nutanix, you've got EMC's got a play there. Cisco just bought a company around this space. Uh, HP has bought a couple of companies around this space. Like, what's what's going on with with HCI in terms of? I mean, is it is it kind of becoming the dominant data center thing? And and do we really need all these companies doing kind of the same thing? Sure, Brian. I, I mean, you know, storage has always been a very fragmented marketplace. Um, Wikibon. You know, we were pretty early at looking at this. We believe that, you know, the era of the storage array is going to switch to not be as many storage arrays. Um, so therefore, if, you know, storage world at VMworld, a lot of it becomes HCI. Um, that being said, there's still plenty of storage arrays out there. There's lots of companies uh, still pushing, uh, you know, the, the, the storage boxes, uh, you know, the, especially the all-flash arrays. Um, but from an HCI standpoint, you know, VMware's got a great position there. We've talked about vSAN a couple times. Uh, I actually saw a blog post that went out this week from VMware saying that a large portion of their internal IT now runs on vSAN. Uh, and, it, you know, of course, the hardware is mostly the, the Dell, uh, which is the VX rail configuration. So if, you know, VMware can run most of their IT uh, on, you know, vSAN, you know, that, that's pretty interesting. Of course, we want to dig in and understand what they're doing with Oracle and things like that, because licensing and, you know, performance and everything is something that, you know, we'd like to understand a little bit better. But, um, you know, if you say if HCI is becoming a major piece of storage, you know, should there be two solutions or 12 solutions well in the storage market there's you know 30 or 40 you know decent sized companies there might be five or six that are of the bigger size and as you said brian all of the major players have lined up with their own solutions and a lot of them are software defined so you know nutanix 
has that balance of what they sell uh, versus what they sell through the Dell OEM. They're working with Lenovo. They're trying to get on other platforms like HP and Cisco. They support them, but HP and Cisco don't because they've bought their own solutions. Uh, NetApp put out there uh, what we like to call not HCI uh, because it competes against HCI, but architecturally doesn't match our definition. Uh, Brian, your company, Red Hat, came out with an HCI. And yes, Cisco, uh, it was funny, Brian, last time I was on your podcast, we were talking about the launch of Whiptail. Um, And (laughs) I I guess what I would say is I I predict that SpringPath will be a better acquisition than Whiptail, but it's a really low bar. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So lots of of co-opetition, lots of, uh, you know, vendors being friends and then maybe not being friends. and, uh, And at the end of the day, people are... You know, we, we we joked years and years ago. This show was was kind of originally started to to focus on converged infrastructure back when things like flex pods and V blocks and stuff were getting built. And and now, you know, six seven years later, it's uh, it's actually physically getting mashed together. You don't have lots of separate boxes. You just have software control planes. So it's a that's about right. It's a six seven year evolution for technology, and uh, that'll probably be a big a big part of this because it's yeah. you know, the next refresh of the data center, I guess. Yeah, Brian, I, I'm just wondering if serverless will come up in the show. So. Yeah, I do want you guys to ask some ask some serverless or ask some container questions, see what's going on there. Uh, get back to us. Uh, we'll have to have you back on at some point to get back to us. But uh, guys, any last words before we uh, we sort of cut it off for tonight? What what's um, you know what's the one thing you're really looking forward to, or the one thing that uh, will will surprise you if you don't see it? Well, the one thing I'm looking forward to, VMworld, I don't get, get there for the announcements about technology anymore. You know what? It's, a, it's literally still about the people. The You can get the content online. You can get all the announcements from blog posts, people live blogging. VMworld is still that center of traditional enterprise IT, people who are on the ground solving 80 to 90 percent of the challenges that we see in the data center. So I'm still jacked about having those hallway conversations, finding out how people are stretching this technology and uh, fitting it into their everyday lives and, and just, you know, fighting this whole thing that we're called digital transformation, how they're fighting that battle. Uh, I'm still super excited about just the, the, the hallway conversations. Yeah. And, and I, I definitely echo that. I, I loved, I was reading a, a blog post today from uh, Mike Bouchon and he said, uh, people aren't sure about digital transformation, but there is no doubt that there is digital disruption and it's, it's definitely hitting, you know, the VMware ecosystem. Uh, and, you know, always interesting to see, you know, how some of the people that were the early people, uh, you know, putting things together and fixing them for VMware, uh, how many of them are still around and how many are off doing, you know, cool new things. Uh, Brian, like yourself, you, you at least used to be a V expert. Um, I've broken and, out of that uh, orbit at this point. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I actually, I actually didn't even renew myself. So, uh, um, it's, uh, uh there's over 1500 V experts now, as opposed to, you know, I, I was reminiscing, I've been working with VMware for 15 years now, and it's been an interesting arc to watch. Yep. Well, I'm evidently still a Dell EMC elect for whatever reason. <laughs> so I appreciate uh, getting nominated and getting it. But, uh, yeah, that's a whole nother uh, podcast, I think, on on just these vendor uh, influencer programs. Very cool. Well, guys, listen, as always, uh, great to sort of dig through the chaos a little bit. Uh, I think we got a few things answered and, and hopefully we'll get a lot more answered next week. Uh, best of luck going through all the interviews. Stay hydrated. Try and keep your voice for a week. I know that's a, that's always tough. Um, but uh, have fun in Vegas, and uh, thanks for being on tonight. And, folks, with that, we're going to wrap it up for uh, Keith and Stu and for Aaron, who should be back next week. We're going to wrap it up, and we will talk to you next week. 
Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 